by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. The arrest, the crucifixion, um, and the resurrection. And I think, you know, spending as much time as we did over those three separate services, I think we saw um, a good portion of uh, what was going on during that time, what was going on during that season. On, on Sunday for Easter, as we looked at how it affected different people, and we looked at um, how it changed people's lives and how people were, were forced to, to make a decision. Um, I think this video uh, helps us to see uh, something similar to what we saw in Jesus over the course of Easter weekend. You know, uh, this caterpillar uh, lives its life, goes on as it is, and then uh, there's this rebirth where it's still the same uh, individual, it's still that same caterpillar, but now it's something altogether different as well, right? So Jesus goes into the grave, and, and even in the video we saw last week where he comes out of the grave, you can see that it's still the same person, right? He's got the holes in his hands. He looks the same. But as he comes out of that tomb, we see that he's altogether something different, something more as well. He can do things he couldn't do before. He can be in places he couldn't be in before. He could look ways that he didn't look before. And uh, as I was preparing my notes, the, the word that kept coming to mind is you see that Jesus is now indestructible. Yes. Imagine that, right? Like... You were able to hurt him, harm him, pierce him, crucify him. But you could tell before he even encounters anybody else that he's now indestructible. There's nothing you can do to him. There's no way that you can hurt him. This is what the life of a born-again Christian should look like. You know, you look the same, right? You've got the same name. People recognize you maybe. But at the same time, when you've come to faith in Christ, you should be something altogether different, something altogether more than what you were before. I think today is going to be a great day. I'm, I'm excited about the message I get to share with you guys. I'm excited about who's here. And, and don't take this the wrong way, but I'm also a little bit excited about who's not. You know, one of the things that, that we looked at on Easter was these two men who were on the road to Emmaus, they were going away from Jerusalem, away from the center of what God was doing and going to continue to do. And then Jesus grabbed a hold of them. And when they recognized that Jesus had grabbed a hold of them, they turned and they went back to where they should be. You know, it's only been a week, but look around. Who's returned? You know, uh, I had a coworker give me a new term for this. It was before Easter, but he called them CEOs. And he said, that's Christmas and Easter only. And... and <laughs> And, and I know, I've heard of those who only go to church on Christmas and Easter, but CEOs is the perfect title, isn't it? 
See, when you're becoming something altogether different, like you saw in the video, as I was watching it this time, obviously I've seen it a couple times preparing for today's message, but I was, as I was watching it this time, I recognized how ugly of a process it is to go from being a caterpillar to a butterfly. That's not pretty. It's actually a little bit grotesque. It's a little bit like upsetting. You know what I mean? It was ugly to begin with, and then that process of cocooning itself and coming out of that, that's ugly. I think the same is true for us. You know, what, what Jesus went through was ugly. But how beautiful when he came out the other end of it. You know, for you as a, as a believer, this isn't a, a one-service thing. This isn't a come to church and, and raise a hand thing. There's actually an ugly process of going from what you used to be to what you're called to be. First Corinthians 15, 46 says this. The spiritual is not first, but the natural is. And afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust, and the second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for change. We thank you for transformation, Lord. We thank you that the natural comes first. We're naturally like Adam. We are naturally like Eve. But after that comes the spiritual, Lord. When we've been born again, when we've gone through that change and that transformation, that process that can be very, very ugly, Lord, we thank you that then comes the spiritual. Then we become like the heavenly man. Then we become indestructible, Lord. We put off this immortality, or excuse me, Lord, we put off this mortality and take on immortality, Lord. We put off this corruptible and take on incorruptibility, Lord God. These are not just nice sayings, Lord. These are not just theories, Lord. This is a reality that I hope and pray this morning that our eyes would be open to, Lord, that our hearts would be open to, Lord God, that we would turn as we've been walking maybe this week away from Jerusalem, Lord God getting further and further away from the crucifixion, Lord God. I pray that we would turn and head back, Lord. That we'd be in the center of what you're doing this morning, God. That we wouldn't see the crucifixion and resurrection as the end, Lord, but truly just the beginning of our new life, Lord. I pray that we would see ourselves the way that you see us this morning, Lord God. We pray for our brothers and sisters who aren't here, Lord God. Oh, but we rejoice, Lord, and we're so grateful for those who are, Lord. Would you meet us here? Would you minister to us, Lord? Would you further reveal yourself to us, Lord God? We love you this morning, and we thank you. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 
So we've been on a, a, a journey, a long series through the book of Matthew. I think it's been at least three, four months that we've been going through it. And, and hopefully you guys have been kind of paying attention to that, that even through our Easter season, uh, uh, season, it's been leading up through Matthew to get to where we were. And then today we actually finish our series, uh, uh, The King and the Cross. We finished Matthew today and it's been beautiful. Uh, it's been great to, to do this, The Cross and the Crown. So I want to pick up where we left off on Easter, which was the risen Lord has been appearing uh, to the disciples. He's been appearing to certain women. Uh, the scriptures say that, that uh, hundreds actually saw him during this, this time period. So I want to pick up right there. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 1. He's writing down a testimony to a, to a man named Theophilus. And he says, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Say began. began. That means it's not over, right? Amen. He says, of all that Jesus began to, to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also predestined, or excuse me, whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Say 40 days. 40 days. This is not a quick, hey, I'm here, I'm alive, two people saw me, and now I'm back to heaven. 40 days he spent walking after his suffering. Infallible proofs. No way that you can deny it. And what did he spend those 40 days doing? Talking about the kingdom of God. Imagine how important that is. I want to ask you as a believer, if you're a believer here this morning, how often are you thinking about the kingdom of God? Jesus came to the world, died, rose from the dead. He had 40 days and all he wanted to do was talk about the kingdom of God. And us as believers, how often are we thinking about and talking about the kingdom of God? I call this an intensive with his disciples. An intensive I want to challenge everybody here to have a bit of a, an intensive post-Easter uh, yes. intensive with the Lord. Right. This last week in the Jared house has been titled Avengers Week. <laughs> I don't have any spoilers for you. Don't get scared. No spoilers. But I did see something in our home that was really interesting. I think we have a picture for you guys. Everyone knows that I love the movies. I love going to the theater. I love eating the popcorn. I love everything that has to do with going to the movies. And I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not going to apologize. I don't feel bad. This is 2012. If you should have seen the caption, I took the day off in 2012 when the first Avengers came out. And I watched it in 3D IMAX. And I think I might have even went by myself. I might have forced Mary to go. But as you can see, the Avengers is a big part of our family. What we want to do, what we like. The, the, the same shirt, it, it's seven years later. It stretched out a little bit because I've grown and shrank during those seven years. But So I say that it's Avengers Week, not just because Avengers was coming out, but what we did this week, my kids aren't allowed to watch TV during the week. We watched the other three Avengers movies this week after school when they got home. Dad was there. We watched these movies in preparation for Endgame, right? <laughs> then this week, 
I actually, the Lord blessed me, I believe, with all my heart because I had to work a couple nights. So I was like, hey, I'm not going into work on Thursday or Friday so that I can go see it in the morning before everybody else is all packed at the theater on Friday. And then I took it a step further. I helped my kids ditch school, all three of them. And we went at 8.50 in the morning. We watched it in 3D and paid extra money to go see this movie because it's Avengers week. Now here's the key. We go watch it on, on Friday morning, and, and when it's done, what we decided to do, you know, we had already watched all the three uh, Avengers movies leading up to it, but we went home on Friday afternoon and Saturday, and we watched all kinds of other Marvel movies that helped us understand Endgame even better. So why? We did all that, we changed work schedules, took the kids out of school, set aside all the time that it took to watch all those movies because like I said before, I love the movies. And I love the Avengers. <laughs> and I thought to myself, how many of us love Jesus? How many of us took time to prepare in advance for Easter? How many of us were willing to change work schedules, change school schedules, spend money, spend time, and then afterwards, how many of us have gone back this week and looked at other things that can help you understand Easter better? See, I understand in my life that there's a lot of things that I do like I did for Avengers Week, but none, there's nothing in my life that I do that more often than I do with the Lord. I prepare to be with him. I go back after I've been with him to understand it better. Amen. And that should be the testimony of every Christian. We all have a thing. I hope you have a thing. I tell my wife, I tell everybody, have a thing. But it needs to be secondary to this thing. If I can get up and do all that for Avengers, there should never be an excuse about doing all that for my Lord and Savior. That's right. Amen. There should never be an excuse for four or five people to show up to a prayer service. There should never be an excuse for people to say that they can't give. Yes, you can. You just have to be in love. Amen. So I think Jesus wants us to do the same thing with Easter, have a post-resurrection intensive. You know, there's more that he wants to talk about. He, he did 40 days after he resurrected the first time, and it was a powerful 40 days. What have the first seven days after Easter been like for you? Has it felt like a Jesus is resurrected and giving you this intensive 40 days? If not, it's not because he doesn't want to. Matthew 27, 50 says, Jesus cried out, he's on the cross, cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earthquake, the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. See, we love the resurrection, and it's amazing what happened on Easter, but actually what happened after the resurrection is amazing too. Amen. Rocks are being split. The temple veil is being torn. Literally, dead bodies of believers are being raised and awakened and then walking into the city where people can see them. There's power after the resurrection. I have a feeling that there's a lot of saints who are asleep that should be awake now <laughs> after Easter. The reports I got this week from the life groups, 
Usually I have to call and check on groups. They're calling me this week. You should have been there. You should have heard this. It was amazing. We were talking about this, talking about that. People are crying. People are coming up to me at prayer, grabbing my shoulders. You got to listen to what happened. Amen. <laughs> Young people are asking to be baptized like we heard. Amen. Young people were giving their lives to the Lord this weekend. Yes. Amen. Man, I hope we're not sleeping. During the disciples' 40-day post-resurrection intensive, this moment, Acts chapter 1, verse 2 says that Jesus gave commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. This is another effect that we didn't talk about last Sunday during Easter of the resurrection. Uh, One of the effects that we didn't talk about is the disciples went from being just disciples to something altogether different and altogether more. They became apostles after the resurrection. Amen. They didn't stop being disciples. They became disciples and apostles, just like that caterpillar, right? The title of the message today is The King's Commission. They were commissioned... And that's what made them go from being disciples to becoming apostles, the king's commission. Let me give you the definition of commission. A commission is the act of committing or entrusting a person or a group with supervisory power and authority for a particular action or function. That's what it means to be commissioned. The act of committing or entrusting a person or group with supervisory power or authority for a particular action or function. Let me give the definition of an apostle. An apostle is one who is sent with a message. So think about that. Commissioned as apostles. It's the king's commission. They've been given power and authority in a supervisory capacity to take a message somewhere. Drawing back to this 40-day intensive, they had three years, and then they had a 40-day intensive training with Jesus. And all of his focus during this intensive is on the kingdom. Why? He says, listen, I'm going to commission you and empower you and give you authority and supervisory capacity. But what matters most as apostles is that you understand the message that you're supposed to give. I'm going to spend 40 days making sure that you understand the message. I've realized that there's a lot of Christians who believe in the Lord and feel like they've been sent from God to go out and share the message, but actually haven't fully come to understand the message yet. Right after the resurrection, there's two messages that are coming from the empty tomb. I really want you guys to get this this morning. You have the the crucifixion. You have the death of Christ. You have him going into the tomb. Then you have the resurrection. And from that tomb, from that resurrection, there's two messages that go out to the world. There's one that denies the resurrection and one that proclaims it. Let's look at the one that denies the resurrection first. Matthew chapter 28, verse 11. It says that now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all the things that had happened. This is after the resurrection. Rock moved. Jesus is resurrected, right? When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. 
And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So there's a message of denial of resurrection. These are Roman soldiers who know that they will be uh, killed if they fell asleep on the job. So they go, instead of going back to the governor, going back to Rome, they go to the chief priests and elders of the Jews and say, hey, this is what happened. You guys got to help us. They give them a bunch of money and they say, listen, if it gets back to Pilate, if it gets back to the governor, we'll protect you. Even though you're Roman, the Jews will protect you because we cannot let the word get out that he's resurrected. We need you to deny it. The message of denial. Think about this for a second, church. It actually begins with witnesses to the truth being redirected so that they don't follow the truth down that narrow road. Denial doesn't just start from denial. They actually saw the truth. They know what happened. They know the stone got rolled away. They know an angel came down. They know that he bodily, physically resurrected. But the denial of that resurrection, it came from witnesses. They saw it. Here's a question you have to ask yourself. Is it possible that knowing the truth about the resurrection and knowing the truth about Jesus is not enough? How many of us, don't raise your hands, but we always think, man, if somebody could just understand the resurrection, if they just knew who Jesus was and what he did and why he did it, man, of course they would fall in love with him. Of course they would go to church. Of course they would give their life to Jesus. Well, it says here that that's not necessarily true. I feel like that's what most of us pray. Man, I just want my, my kids to see it. I just want my, my parents to see it. I just want my spouse to see it. I just want my friends to see it. Well, these people saw it and it didn't matter. Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their own thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. He says, I show it to them. They go outside and see the sun and the moon and the stars. They see caterpillars turn into butterflies. They know who I am and they know that I exist, but they suppress the truth. Think about these soldiers that walked away from, from the tomb. They knew the truth and what did they do? They suppressed it. They acted as if they didn't know the truth. God says that that's the actual problem. Even though they know God, they don't glorify him as God. I believe that there's a lot of people who were in this church on last Sunday and a lot of people in churches all over the world last week that know God and know who he is, but they refuse to glorify him as God and they refuse to be thankful. That's what my Bible is telling me. That's why he's saying, you need a post-resurrection intensive. <laughs> you don't need one day at the tomb. You need somebody to track you down the next day and bring you back to Jerusalem. Amen. So this is what happened to those first deniers and suppressors of the truth. They left the tomb with a message. And then their denial is perpetuated or continued 
by those who didn't actually witness the resurrection, right? They come to the chief priests and the elders. They didn't see the resurrection, but now they take this denial. They say, hey, you guys, we don't want you to believe it. We don't want you to preach it. We don't want you to tell anybody. Say that uh, they took his body while you were sleeping, and then they take that message, and they perpetuate it. They continue to deny, continue to deny, continue to deny. They didn't see it, and they're not seeking it. They're not seeking Jesus. Think about that for a second. Somebody comes and says, we saw him resurrect. And they say, listen, we need you to deny it. And what we're going to do is deny it without even seeking to see if it's true. We're not going to go looking for him. We don't want to know if he actually rose. We're just going to perpetuate denial. Man, if you could see the world that you and I live in, you would see that... This isn't just 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. This is outside right now. This is the job that you're going to go to tomorrow. This is the school that your kids go to. That's right. People who aren't looking for Jesus and don't want to know the truth about the resurrection are actually perpetuating the denial. They're not neutral. They're continuing the story. You guys know how we are here. This isn't a pointing of the fingers. I used to, we all used to be one of them, yeah. <laughs> perpetuating the denial. Verse 13 says, the elders and the chief priests told the Roman soldiers who fled. They came looking for help to them. They're like, you guys should know about this stuff. You're the Jews. <laughs> they came looking for them, and this is what they said. Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while he slept. Compelling them, don't go down this road. Go down another road. Take a road that's more suitable for you. You know what drives me crazy is there are a lot of people who, who come to God and come to church and, and not only will they be misled by the elders and the chief priests, but even all, our own family members. Like, you should, how many times I've heard testimonies of people in this church, like, they've met Jesus, they've met God, they've given their life to the Lord, and they'll come back to me and say, you know, my, my, my parents said that I shouldn't get too into this. You know, my spouse says that it's cool and, and, and they'll, they'll go to church from time to time, but they don't want to be an every week kind of person. <laughs> and it, it just drives me crazy because what we're actually doing is we're saying, listen, the spirituality thing is cool, but, but let's do this in a way that's more suitable to us. Yeah. Let's change this to where it fits our lifestyle better. Where's that church where, where they don't talk about tithing and giving? Let's, let's go to that one. Let's start there. Where, where's, where's that church where it's okay to be involved in a sexual relationship if you're not married? Let's go there. Where's that church where you don't even really have to read because they just keep telling you that if you believe in Jesus, everything is just going to work out? Let's go there. Where's that one where we get to just be spiritual and however we feel, that's what matters most. Not what you know, but how you feel. It's like, let's just make the story more suitable. There's another road. There's another path. Can you see that that's what these leaders of the church did to these soldiers when they came looking for answers? Deny that truth, and we've got a more suitable story for you. It's so important to find the right people when the truth of the resurrection begins to be revealed to you. When your eyes start to be open to, oh, God, it's real, Oh, God, like Jesus is the truth. Oh, my God, he died for my sins and he resurrected. You have to be led to the right people who can lead you in the right direction. Yeah, 
There's a, there's a poet that I like, and he said, I didn't lose my faith, I just misplaced it. And what he was trying to say was, I, I didn't lose faith in Jesus, I've just been being led down the wrong path by the people I put my faith in. Here I am 10 years into my salvation, 20 years into my salvation, and I'm realizing I haven't lost faith. That's not why I'm um, um, uh, in this dark place or in this sad place or in this place where I don't feel the presence of God. It's not because I lost my faith. It's because I actually put it into somebody who led me down the wrong path and told me that there was a more suitable story for me. We end up in the wrong place when we trust ourselves or we trust the wrong leaders. Amen. Matthew 7, 13 says, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. When these soldiers came and told the elders and the priests that they had seen the resurrection of Christ, instead of them saying, listen, we're going to make this work for your boss. Listen, we're going we're gonna to tell them that it's okay. There was no resurrection. And they, they came and sold them while you were asleep. We're going to make sure that you live. And you guys just denied and here's some money. Instead of they said, listen, this is going to be the hardest thing ever. You have to deny Rome. You have to tell us where this Jesus is. We're going to deny everything that we've been doing as a church. And we're going to find him and follow him. He must be the Messiah. But that road is hard and narrow. And don't, nobody wants to go down that road. You have to find apostles who have been sent by the Lord with a clear message that leads us further in the right direction. It says you'll know them by their fruits. Yeah. Let's look at the second message that came from the tomb. This group proclaimed the resurrection instead of denying it. Matthew 28 from verse 15, the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and the sayings commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Verse 17 says that they saw him and they worshipped him. We know from, from uh, reading through the Gospels that Peter and John came to the tomb and they didn't see his body, but they saw the grave clothes there. And then it says that one by one, Jesus revealed himself to all of the disciples. They actually saw him and worshiped him. Amen. I believe one of the fruits of a true disciple, a true apostle, or a true prophet is one who has seen and one who worships Jesus. You want somebody to lead you? You want to make sure you don't go down the wrong path? You don't go down the wide road? You don't find yourself being led by a wolf in sheep's clothing? Ask them, have you seen Jesus? Yes. And then you watch them, do they worship Jesus? Yes. If you ain't giving, don't tell me that you're going to lead me to the Lord. If you ain't singing, don't tell me that you know how to worship him. If you're not reading, you can't lead me anywhere. 
There are a lot of people who can talk a good game about Jesus, but you know in your heart they've never met him. There are people right now, you can pick the, uh, your favorite star and they can give you all the facts, but you know what you can ask them? Have you ever met her? Have you ever actually met him? Have you talked even once? Have you shared one meal? No. Then you're just telling me knowledge about that person, but you don't know them. We have to do the same thing with the Lord. You should be able to look at somebody and listen to the way they talk. Is this theory or reality? Have you actually met him? Come on. Amen. Tell me what it's like when you share a meal with him. Yes. Show me the fruit. Show me that you are a worshiper. Show me that when all hell is breaking loose and you're as broken as you've ever been, let me watch you come crawling into the church and come kneeling at his feet and drop, and drop tears that won't stop. Amen. See, the disciples, it says that they saw him after the resurrection and they worshiped him. You want to be led? Find somebody that's seen him and somebody who worships him. Amen. Here's the commissioning. The title of the message is not <laughs> find an apostle. The title of the message is the king's commission. It's in verse 18 and 19. We see the actual commissioning of the disciples. They saw the resurrected Jesus. They worshiped him. And then this is what it says in verse 18 and 19. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. Didn't we say that uh, what it means to be commissioned is that you're giving somebody authority and a supervisory role, and what it means to be an apostle is one who's sent? Jesus comes to the, to the disciples and says, I have all the authority in heaven and on earth. I'm giving it to you, so go, therefore. Gives them this commissioning power and authority and then sends them somewhere. Here's the key or the pivot point this morning. The first group that left the tomb, these soldiers, are focused on how to deny the resurrection. The second group is actually receiving a message that goes beyond the resurrection. The soldiers come out, and they've got to figure out how to deny the resurrection. But the commissioning of the apostles is not how to proclaim the resurrection. It's about a message that goes beyond the resurrection. It's the work of God to reveal the truth about the resurrection. When you realize this as a believer who wants to see other people get saved, that it's not your job to make Jesus real to them. It's not your job to prove the resurrection to them. That's God's job. I'm so happy it's his job because I've tried. I'm not good at it. You ever just want to choke somebody like, it's real. <laughs> Because you can't get the words. You can't fix it. You see their brain and you're like, it's not, your brain's not working. Your heart's not working because I know it's real. How come you don't know it's real? And you get frustrated. Soon as you realize that only God can open somebody's eyes to who Jesus is. Only God can reveal that the resurrection is a fact of life, not a myth or a theory. Only God can do that. When you let God do his work of revealing that truth, we can focus on the responsibility of being a commissioned messenger that's supposed to direct people into the knowledge of the kingdom of God. See, that 40-day intensive, 
He was like, listen, I'm going to commission you. I'm going to send you out and I'm going to tell you about the kingdom of God because that's the message I need you to go out and preach. And I need you to know it. How many of us are going out with the message of the kingdom of God? Maybe we have the wrong message. And that's why we're not bearing as much fruit as we would like to be. The gospel is extremely important. Without it, without the gospel, the door to God remains closed. But once that seed, say seed. Seed. Say seed. Seed. Once that seed of the fall, the virgin birth, sacrificial and substitutionary death of Jesus, bodily resurrection, and the ascension has been planted, we do not need to replant it over and over and over again. That's the gospel, okay? There is a fall. (laughs) Then there is the arrival of the Messiah. There's his death and resurrection, his virgin birth, his death and resurrection, his ascension. That's the gospel. But once that seed has been planted, we don't need to just keep planting that. Keep calling your cousin over and over again, plant the same seed. Keep telling your kids over and over again, same seed. Keep telling your friends over and over again, same seed. It's already been planted. Jesus says, listen, I got another message that I need you to actually be preaching. Hebrews 6.1 puts it like this. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith toward God, the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. God appears to be saying, listen, that, that seed of the gospel, nothing happens without it, but once you've got it, move on. Post-resurrection is what we need to be talking about. I have a message that I need you to get out. And it's not just the gospel. What is that other message that Jesus spent 40 days teaching the disciples who would soon become apostles? What is that other message that he was giving them to deliver? Matthew 28, read it again, verse 18. Let's see what that message really is. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Man, did we get the right message. Jesus is the inventor of the three-point message. It's not us. It's not the preachers of today. Here's Jesus' three-point message. Make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And number three, teach them to observe everything that I commanded you. Nowhere in there do you hear, keep telling them over and over and over again the story about why I came and how I came and what I've done on the cross. He says, that's obviously the beginning. You can't go anywhere without it, but that's not the message that I'm sending you to share. So if you're that messenger, if I'm that messenger, these apostles, this is how they might approach someone to see if that gospel seed has begun to germinate, begun to bring change in somebody's life, and if they're ready for the message that Jesus commissions us to preach. They might say, sir or ma'am, 
Do you believe that each portion of the gospel is true and has a direct effect on your life? The fall. You might ask them, are you a sinner? Do you consider yourself totally depraved? Do you consider yourself worthy of hell? If the answer is yes, then they understand the fall. The virgin birth. Only a sinless one can have the currency to pay the debt of sin. Do they understand that? Listen, it's not just that he was good and he was nice and he was God and he had all this ability. No, he's sinless. And the cost of sin, the wages of sin is what? Death. You have to be without sin to have enough currency to pay for the sins of everybody else. Do you understand that? Yes. I can't be good enough. Nobody would have been good enough. Only a perfect sinless one. Okay, you understand that part of the gospel. The sacrificial and substitutionary death of Jesus. Sir, ma'am, do you understand that God in his mercy and grace has allowed that sinless one, Jesus, to take all of his righteousness and put it in your bank account? And he said, I'll take all of your sinfulness and you can put it in Jesus' bank account. Do you understand that, that only God could think of that? And that's the only way for this thing called Christianity to work? Yes, I get that. I understand it. Okay, this gospel seed is germinating. The bodily resurrection. If you believe in that sacrificial and substitutionary death, there has to be confirmation that it's actually true. And you know what that confirmation is? The resurrection. When Jesus comes out of the grave, it's God's stamp saying the debt has been paid, death has been conquered, you are victorious. Not only is he victorious coming out of the grave, but that means that he took your sins and you are now sinless. Do you understand that that's what the resurrection is about? If they understand that, okay, maybe this gospel seed really is germinating. Going to bear some fruit. And then the ascension. I love that Raymond mentioned it when he was up here. He said, my God has gone back to prepare a place for me. When people are coming and they're coming into the church, we should be telling them, he's not here. <laughs> he's not here. Why'd you come? I came looking for Jesus. Well, he ain't here. Why? Because he's gone to prepare a place for us. He ascended. This is just part of the story. It's not the end of the story. We don't come in here looking for a dead Jesus that we're going to feel somehow. No, he's alive and well and preparing a place for us for all of eternity. He created the world in six days, rested on the seventh. He's been gone for 2,000 years preparing heaven for us. Imagine what it's going to be like. Do you believe that? Do you understand that? Okay, well then, this gospel seed is taking root. Why would we then keep telling them about the gospel? Jesus is like, that's not the message I want you to tell them. If, if that seed is firmly planted and being watered, it's going to germinate, it's going to bear some fruit. I have another message that I need you to go out and preach. So the messenger might say this. Will you allow me to lead you into a relationship and lifestyle that is pleasing to God? That's called discipleship. Jesus said, go make disciples. Will you allow me to make sure you come to church every Sunday? What is that? That's not discipleship. Discipleship is, listen, you were this ugly caterpillar. You understood the gospel and you became a butterfly, but you don't know how to fly. You don't know how to change your diet. 
You don't know how to live in a way and in a place that is pleasing to your creator. And God's not going to wait for you to, to learn that. What he's going to do is get somebody to tell you from today, don't do that, stop, don't do that, stop, start doing this, go here, go there. Why? Because we can walk together and you will be pleasing to God. Before it's within you, you can be taught how to be pleasing to God. Become a disciple of Christ. Jesus said, go and make disciples, not go and make church attenders. That's right. So you ask, will you allow me to lead you into a relationship and lifestyle that is pleasing to God? That's discipleship. Then you ask him, will you identify with and fully surrender your life to the one who has identified with you and fully surrendered his life for you? That's called baptism. Not, hey, can we have a service and can we hit the beach or can we have the, the water here and, and dunk you? No, what we're actually asking is, will you fully identify with Jesus? You are supposed to be like the Roman soldiers who came walking to the church and what they should have heard is not, hey, let's cover this up and nobody will know you saw what you saw. What they should have said is, hey, we need you to fully identify with Jesus now. You've been a Roman your whole life. You have a way of thinking, a way of governing, a way of looking at yourself as the best on the planet. And from this day forward, you are going to put all of your faith, trust, and identification with a Jew who had nothing. And if they say yes, that means let's get baptized. You're dead to your old Roman life, and you're raised in the new butterfly life of a follower of Christ. Amen. It's called baptism. And then you ask him, will you commit to a life of learning about the kingdom? Jesus said, go and teach them everything that I commanded you. It's going to take a lifetime. This ain't two years to ministry. <laughs> this ain't two years to the title that I desire. Amen. It's a lifetime of learning week after week, year after year, decade after decade. The kingdom is being prepared for you and I, by the Almighty, and we got to learn about it. Some of you are thinking, man, I should have been a CEO. <laughs> I'm going to bring this down. Let's look at the other two gospel records of the King's Commission. Maybe you don't believe me yet. I want to see what, what Mark and Luke have to say. We know what Matthew has to say. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus said to them, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, and he who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. They say that Mark is written to the Romans, and it's like straight to the point, and he doesn't spend a lot of time giving you all kinds of background and details. The other Gospels, it takes 40 days and all this stuff, and this says he gives them this commissioning, and then he heads to heaven. <laughs> Mark tells us that Jesus tells his, his apostles what to look for in the lives of true believers. Stay with me this morning. 
Jesus says to the apostles that he's sending out with this message. He says, those who believe will cast out demons, speak with new tongues, take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them, and they will lay hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. He doesn't say, apostles, this is what you are going to do. He says, apostles, if you want to know if somebody really believes, this is what you will see in their life. Every single believer. Amen. The church is to stop lying to us. It's not for special people. It's not for anointed people. It's not for pastors, preachers, worship leaders, Amen. elders. It's for every single person. Jesus said, this is what you will see in their life. And we don't see it because people are preaching the wrong message. People are telling churches and people who are coming to faith a more suitable story for them. All God wants you to do is go to church and show that you are faithful. No, that's not true. I'm sure you can find somewhere that will tell you that that's true, but it's not true. You, say me. Me. You should cast out demons. Yes. What does that mean? Does that mean you should go to school tomorrow, go to work tomorrow, and you see somebody that don't look right, and you just run up on them and... <laughs> no, that's not what it means. What it means is you are unsaved, which means you are under the power and the authority of Satan. You are demon-possessed and antichrist, just like I was before I came to faith, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to lead you to the Lord, and that demon will be cast out of you. Amen. It's not... It's not strange and weird. It's going from being a caterpillar to a butterfly. Something has to happen. Something has to be added and something has to be removed. Every single believer, not just pastors preaching the gospel, you lead your kids to faith. You lead your co-workers over the course of a year or two to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, those who believe in me will speak with new tongues. That doesn't mean just that you're going to pray in tongues and speak in tongues and come to a Friday night praying in the Spirit, which you should because Jesus said that you should. What it means, speak with new tongues, is you are now going to speak words of life instead of words of death. When people call you and they're in drama in their relationship, you ain't going to tell them more drama. You are going to speak words of life, words of vision, words of what destiny is ahead of them. That's what believers do. They speak life, not death. They speak with a new tongue. That old caterpillar tongue is gone. They have a new butterfly tongue. It says that you will take up serpents. Get online and see how many crazy churches actually brought snakes into the church and said, because we believe in Christ, and he said that all believers will do this, and then they get themselves bit. Because <laughs> that's not what Jesus is talking about. What he's saying is, you will now have power over the enemy instead of the enemy having power over you. Yes. So many of us, we would want to not sin, and we would sin. We would want to not sleep with our boyfriend and girlfriend, and we'd do it again. We would want to stop doing drugs, and we'd keep doing them. We want to stop drinking, and we'd keep drinking. We want to stop fighting in front of our kids, and we'd keep fighting in front of our kids. Why? Because the enemy still had power and authority over us. He said, but when you become a believer, you will now take up that serpent and say, I have power and authority over you. You will no longer run me or my household. Amen. Every believer not the special ones. He says, if they drink anything deadly, it will by, by no means hurt them. 
When this was written, there was, there was idol worship, and people would pray over and offer things to other gods, right? And then the enemy would use that and have this ability. People would get sick. There'd be all kinds of death and destruction related to it. What he's saying is you don't have to worry about anything anymore. Eat what you want. Go where you want. Do what you want. Nothing is going to have that effect on you anymore. Be wise, but don't be afraid. You're not going to fall over and die because you walked into a church and they had done something the year before or the season before. No, don't worry about that stuff. Get into my word. Be discipled. Find a true shepherd and not a wolf in sheep's clothing. You're going to be fine. And the last one he says, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. He says, you, every single believer, will have the power to heal both physically and emotionally. You don't need a faith healer. You don't need a special anointed person. You just need to have faith that what he says is true, is true. Why can't the husband be used to heal the wounds of the wife, even if he was the one that caused them? Because my Bible says that every believer will heal. Why can't the parent be the one to heal the wounds of their children, even if they're the ones that caused it? Because they're looking for a pastor, looking for somebody else to come with this special anointing and heal your kids. No, you heal them. This isn't trying to get off the hook and shirk my responsibility. It's just, it's just reading the scripture for what it actually says. Stop preaching the wrong message. Preach the right message. This is what Jesus says. So Matthew and Mark, if you ask me, they paint an awesome picture of what the disciples and now apostles are supposed to do and what they're supposed to look for in the lives of believers, right? When we start saying, hey, do you think this person's ready for ministry? It's not because they come to church every single week and they give their tithe like they're supposed to. No. Do we see this in their life? Yes. Young ladies, when you're looking for a Christian man to marry, don't just say, does he go to church? Do you see this in his life? Luke tells us some insight into how they're supposed to do it. I love God. Don't just tell me what to do. Tell me how to do it. Luke 24, the commissioning. Jesus opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then Jesus said to them, It is written, and thus was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry or wait in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. He led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Man, I wish we had time to break down every, every scripture. But look at Jesus. He raises his hands and then he, he prays over and blesses them. It looks a lot like when our kids come up to the front and we raise our hands and then we pray over them and bless them. We don't just do things for the sake of doing them. We do them because the scriptures tell us to do them. Another message for another day. Matthew 28 is the king's commission. It ends with Jesus saying, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. In Luke, in this, this portion of scripture of the commission, we see how Jesus is actually going to fulfill that promise. 
It's great in Matthew when he says, listen, go out and make disciples, baptize them, teach them everything that I commanded you. All right, go, I'm going back to heaven. And they're standing there like, well, how do we do that? He says, well, I'm going to be with you till the end. And then they watch him go away and they're like, you said you were going to be with us. Where are you? And then Luke tells us how he fulfills that. Verse 49 of Luke chapter 24 says, I send the promise of my father upon you. Wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Jesus is with his messengers through the sending, receiving, and filling of the Holy Spirit. That's how he he keeps his promise. He says, listen, I've got a message. It's not going to be an easy one. Don't sugarcoat it. Preach it. Don't preach the old message. It's an important one, but it's already been preached. I have a new message, and I'm going to be with you, and here's how I'm going to be with you. I'm going to send my spirit. You better receive him and be filled with him and go out and preach. It's not a small thing, church. You may have heard this over and over again, especially in this church, but imagine the very first time that this word is going out into the world. God goes from being God Almighty, who wants to be with his people, but he has to have this temple system of separation because he's too good to be too close to them. Then there's a transition where Jesus comes into the world and everybody says, Emmanuel, God with us. So he's not just close, he's with the people. And as if that wasn't good enough, now God says we're going to enter into a new era, caterpillar, butterfly, and then something altogether different. He says, listen, I'm going to come and live in you. Imagine how mind-blowing that would have been for this group of people who really understand the holiness of God. They're not even allowed to go into a room where his presence is going to show up. And now he says he's going to come and dwell in them. Christians should not be numb to this or ignorant to this, but we've been hearing the wrong message. It should be just as mind-blowing and amazing for us as it was for these disciples when they heard it. Colossians 1.27, God willed to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery among us, the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You don't go to church looking for Jesus. You come because you're already filled with his spirit. We used to say this all the time in, in uh, ministry, worship team and children's church, and then they kicked me off of like all their threads and they don't let me talk to them anymore. <laughs> but I used to say, hey, did you bring the spirit with you or did you come looking for it? Mm-hmm. Like you're the ministers. What are you doing coming without the spirit of God? Amen. You need to show up with him mm-hmm. so that you can share him with others. Amen. That's the hope of glory is Christ in you. You don't got to wait to come and get filled at church. (laughs) You guys look shocked. It's like an after Easter hangover, not intensive. (laughs) We're almost there. Say almost. Almost. Say I'm going to make it. The good news is you're going to turn into something beautiful, whether you like it or not. (laughs) John's gospel is the only one that doesn't give us the king's commission. But let's look at what he does give us. John 16, 4. Jesus says, These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, Where are you going? But because I said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. He's telling them about, he's telling the disciples about his crucifixion, and they're just so sad. He's like, You don't even care where I'm going. 
or why I'm going. You guys should be asking me to teach you something, not crying like little babies. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. And when he has come, he'll convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He says, he'll preach the gospel. He'll make sure everybody understands that they are a sinner and that he is righteous and that they're going to be judged if they don't accept him. It's so good that I go because he'll preach that message for you. He says, he'll preach of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my father and see you no more, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he'll guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. And we're not praying for the Holy Spirit. Yes. We're not praying for revelation. We're afraid to go to praying in the Spirit services. We're afraid of how the world is going to look at us if we say, I believe in a triune God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I believe that that God will come and dwell within me, speak to me, lead me, uh, guide me, write the word of God on my heart and on my mind. That's the story. That's the message. Anything else that you've heard is not the story. It's not the message. It's not why you came here today. During the 40-day post-resurrection intensive, this is how Acts finishes that story. We're going to close. Acts 1-4, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. They said he's coming back, but there ain't no point in standing here looking up into the sky. Yes. They'd say the same thing to us. Listen, he's alive, but there ain't no point in coming into the church saying, are you going to be here today, Lord? He's going to come back the same way that he went. He went up into the clouds. The Bible says he's going to come back. There's going to be a trumpet. He's going to be coming on the clouds, and every eye is going to see him. If you don't hear a trumpet and you don't see him on the clouds, don't come looking for him in the church. Listen to what he said. He said, I went back so that I could send you my spirit. That needs to be our prayer. The king's commission is not to tell people about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Again, it's to receive power, have the Holy Spirit come upon you, 
be a witness to him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Go and make disciples. If we've told them once, and you have a life that testifies that you believe in the gospel, you don't need to replant that seed. You don't need to re-preach that message. Keep living it out, but go and make disciples. Baptize new, new believers and spend your life teaching about the kingdom. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You know what that means? I really want you to, to ask yourself if you understand this. Jesus doesn't say that the fields are ready for gospel seeds to be planted. He says the harvest is already plentiful. He says, I've already planted the seed by my spirit, and it's ready to be harvested. It's already grown. I need people to go out and preach the message that I'm telling them to preach. I need them to make disciples. I need them to baptize people, and I need them to spend the rest of their life teaching them what it means to be a part of the kingdom. And you know what we're doing? If we do anything at all, we go into a field that's ready to be harvested, and instead of doing that, we keep throwing gospel seeds. Luke 10.2, Jesus said, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. He says, stop telling them about the gospel and start discipling them. Stop being patient with people when it comes to baptism just because you're afraid. You're afraid to go all in, so what you do is you say, just come to church and, yeah, don't worry about changing, don't worry. You don't got to go all in yet. When you're ready, just tell us when you're ready to go all in. No, Jesus says, that's not the message I said. When, when the Ethiopian eunuch got saved last week, he was in a car, gave his life to Jesus, jumped out of the car, and got baptized. Why are you preaching a different message? Amen. If you raise your hand and say, I want to be saved, well then, as soon as it goes down, we're going to say, we wanted you to get baptized. <laughs> and find somebody that's been with Jesus and did the same thing, because instead of a, 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 a wolf in sheep's clothing that's going to take you down a more suitable path, hey, I'll walk you down the slow path. That's a lie. I'll walk you down the path that you get baptized 10 years from now when you come out of this horrific thing that you've been through with Jesus. That's the wrong path. That's a lie. That's not what Jesus wants. Either he is who he says he is and he did what he said he did and he sent his spirit to dwell within you and if that's true and you believe it, it's the best thing that's ever happened to you, get baptized and go for God. He says, stop waiting for Sunday services for people to be taught. Learn enough yourself that you can teach somebody else. Now, throughout the week. Yeah. And this is it. The king's commission is to get to the people with the truth of the kingdom before those who will teach them to deny that truth send them down the wrong path. Two messages come out from the tomb, one of denial and one of proclamation. And those who deny are on the job, church. They're trying to get to us. They're trying to get to your friends. They're trying to get to your family. They're trying to get to your coworkers. And God said, I just need you to go out there and tell them the truth before these other ones get to them. Yes, amen. Isaiah, would you come? Why don't we stand?
so this message is not a message of condemnation or, or terror or fear. To me, it's an exciting message of the real path. It's an exciting message about the truth. It's exciting, an exciting opportunity to go into a post-resurrection Sunday intensive with Jesus. I, don't, I couldn't figure out why I was so excited after Easter. Of course, salvations are amazing. And of course, people wanting to get baptized is amazing because Jesus says, my spirit will write these things on your heart. You don't even have to preach the next week's message, but it's already being lived out last week, if that makes sense. But the reason I was so excited is I think a lot of us, we, we have these places that we want to get to. Like we want to get to Easter service. We want to get to that next birthday. We want to get to that marriage. We want to get to this, this place that we see. And my experience with the Lord has always been those mountaintop experiences are just a glimpse at what's ahead from there. I've been excited about after Easter because I believe that anybody who's willing and open to an intensive with the Lord, man, this next couple of weeks are potentially going to be the best of your life. You'll have stories to tell. You'll be able to talk to people about the Jesus that you've actually met and the one that you actually worship. Not the one you heard about at church or the one you remember from back in the day. The one you've encountered, the one that you have had the truth revealed from, the one that you can't help yourself but worship. So I wanna pray with you. As we always do, just a few questions. I believe that hearing is, is you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. It's, it's just like the gospel. Without that, you don't really have anywhere to go. But after the gospel, you get the commission. And after hearing, you get to respond. If you're here, bow your heads, close your eyes for just a second. If you've never given your life to the Lord, maybe it's because nobody actually told you what the gospel really is, but I believe that you've heard it this morning and you've heard it clearly and I don't believe that you need to hear it again. You will, I'm sure, but you don't need to. You're without excuse this morning like the rest of us. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Between you and the Lord, the gospel is that there is a fall. So everybody is born into sin. It's not something that you started to do. It's who you were when you got to this planet. A sinner, totally depraved. Separated from God. And he sent his son to bring you back into relationship with him. He was sinless. He was perfect. He was God with us. He was born of a virgin. He did not have an earthly father because he has a heavenly father. He had an earthly mother because God promised that the Savior would come in the line of David, which he did through Mary. And he died on the cross. And he will give all of his righteousness to you and take all of your sin. The work is already done. All you have to do is accept it. He rose from the grave to prove that it's true. And he's ascended to the Father and he's waiting for you. The only reason we're not there already is he says in his word that there's a whole bunch that still need to come to faith and he's waiting for them because he loves them and he's patient. You 
are one of those ones he's waiting for. The rest of us are still here because he's waiting for you. If you've never actually said, I believe that, and I want to give my life to the one who gave his life for me, I want to give you a chance to do that right now. Between you and the Lord, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If that's you, just raise your hand. The Lord knows, but I want to be able to see you and pray for you and pray with you. Is there anyone here this morning? Hallelujah, Lord. Seed has been planted. Anyone? Amen. So here are the prayers, the calls that I have for everyone else here this morning, and then I'm going to open the altars. The first is if you're ready for a post-Easter intensive. If that's you, you weren't thinking about it, you weren't really considering it, just another week now, like you always are, faithful, but maybe this would be a special season like it was for those disciples that became apostles. They changed, something was different about them. Maybe this will be a season of change for you. When we open the altars, if that's you and you want that post-Easter intensive, I ask that you would come. For others, if you're saved, but you know you have not begun that process of being discipled, you have not been baptized, you are not truly being taught what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God, and you want that process to start, you don't want to be led in the wrong direction, and you don't want to stay where you are, we're going to open the altars for you as well. And then for those that want to be used by God, commissioned by God, and you see now that maybe you've been preaching the wrong message, and you just want the Lord to teach you and prepare you and make that message clear that you would be able to minister to others and truly start discipling people, you be the one to lead somebody into being baptized. You be the one that they make the first call to saying, I don't really understand this portion or I don't understand that chapter. Would you help me and walk through it with me? If you want that to begin to be the story of your life, because that's what Jesus said, we want to open the altars to all of you. <clears throat> We've got a couple of people, last one, that have decided to be baptized. And it looks like that's going to happen in a couple weeks, probably on Easter or excuse me, on uh, Mother's Day coming up here. But if that's you too, and you know you want to be baptized, you know you've had time to jump out of that carriage and say, I see water, let's do it. I'd ask that you wouldn't hesitate. Come and talk to one of the elders before you leave today. Come and pray about it at the altar as we receive communion. So the altars are open. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for after Easter. We thank you that Easter is not the end, it's the beginning. We thank you that we have an opportunity to go from being uh, a caterpillar to becoming a butterfly, Lord. That we bring something with us from the past, but we're also something altogether different, something altogether better and further and more, Lord. We go from crawling around on our bellies to flying and soaring through the sky. We want to be born again. We want new life and more life. You say that the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, but you came that we would have life and life more abundantly, Lord God. I pray that you would commission us, Lord, to go out and preach the message that you have decided needs to be shared, Lord. I pray that we would go out into the harvest as laborers, Lord, 
not reseeding and replanting, Lord God, but actually harvesting what your spirit has already planted and is already bearing fruit, Lord. It's ready, it's ripe, the time is now, Lord God. I pray for those, Lord, that want to be baptized, those that want to grow in their faith, those that want to be discipled, Lord God, those that want to learn about your commandments, Lord, who want to seek you in a new and special and powerful way, Lord. I pray for those that want to be used as your hands and as your feet, Lord, as your mouth, Lord, speaking these truths into the lives of others, Lord. And I pray that we would see the fruit, God. You say that you'll we'll know by the fruit, Lord. Let there be good fruit. Let there be joy. Let there be commitment, Lord God. Let there be conviction and faithfulness, Lord God. Let there be relationship and intimacy, Lord. Lord, as we receive this communion, Lord, the same way that you broke that bread with the two on the road to Emmaus and their eyes were opened and they turned back and went running to Jerusalem, Lord. The same way that you ate with the disciples after you were resurrected and they knew that it was you, Lord God. I pray that this Sunday, as we receive communion, Lord, that we would have a similar experience, that your spirit would well up inside of us, Lord, and we'd remember who you are and what you said, Lord. Write something on our hearts today, Lord. Write something on our minds today, Lord. You say that you will and we believe you in this place, Lord. Watch over your people. Watch over your people, Lord. We don't want to be CEOs, Lord. We want to be everyday faithful men and women of God. Have your way in Jesus' name we pray. I was nowhere you came to my rescue From the grave I've been raised When I needed a savior to save me Jesus, you made a way. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.